Hey y'all, Liz Higgins here, and welcome to the Millennial Life Podcast, where my main goal is to share conversations that will inspire you and drive you toward the life and relationship you desire. I'm here to share what I've learned as a licensed therapist and relationship coach specializing in millennial relationships and wellness, as well as transformative conversations with other professionals. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hey guys, I'm joined today by a very special guest, Miss Laura Pierce, who was with me just a few episodes ago talking about modern parenting. We decided to come back together for a part two podcast episode. And believe me when I say today is one that you are not going to want to miss. If you are a parent, if you know somebody who's a parent, if you're an expectant parent, I think you want to hear some of what Laura has to share today because she is talking us through um, much more beyond what we talked about last time, which is kind of conceptualizing um, some more larger themes and ideas on modern parenting styles and what really works today for us millennial parents. But we also get into the nitty gritty of some of these very specific tools, tips, ideas, and strategies, things you can actually say with your kiddos that will really help. So I think with the holidays being here at the time of this podcast episode, there is so much to take away. So I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in again today. I'm super excited because I'm joined again by Laura Pierce, licensed marriage and family therapist, registered play therapist, and most recently a guest here on the podcast talking about modern parenting with me. So hello, Laura. It's so wonderful to have you back. Hello. I'm glad to be back. Yes. So today is basically part two, a continuation of the conversation we started having, which I feel was very eye-opening for me and really brought some insight into what some themes of modern parenting are. And to those of you who are listening to this episode, I definitely suggest if you haven't um, listen to that episode we did um, a couple of episodes ago. Go back and listen to it because you get a real sense of Laura's practice and approach with parents that she works with of little ones and what some of the modern day technicalities and ideas are for parenting. So today is going to be diving into more of these ideas, strategies, and skills so a little more of this tangible conversation around parenting stuff. And um, Laura, I'll just kind of turn it to you at this point and take your lead because I think you have some amazing things you're going to share with us. Happy to. And um, like I said, thanks for having me back. As I re-listened to part one of our conversation, Liz, I was encouraged <laughs> that we decided for a part two because part one, while so valuable and really crucial, and I'll echo what you said. If if you're listening now and haven't listened to the first part of our conversation, I definitely encourage you to do that. I think what we have to share today will just sit better. It will make more sense. You'll feel more confident. So after listening to our conversation, I realized, oh, I'm sure um, people who are engaged in this conversation are ready for the, okay, now what? Yes, I yes, I like this. Yes, I'm I'm on board with this. Yes, I want this in my family and in my relationship with my child. So how 
when, what, what's the to do. Um, so that's what I really want to do today is just kind of go for it and, and say, following up to the most basic way I could summarize our first conversation is that what I've learned about parenting, what I've read from those that have researched parenting, child development, in my experience, working with families who have children and who are parenting every day is that the healthiest way to parent is to keep in mind the parent-child relationship. Um, So it's not that the parent is first or that the child is always first, but it's really about the relationship. Keeping that relationship in mind is how the following strategies and skills that I'm going to mention work. So without relationship, the strategies and the skills are just kind of checking off a list. But I'll Mm -hmm. also say that many of the strategies and skills that I'm going to share today contribute to the relationship. So it's not really one before the other. It's really about approaching your child in specific ways so that you are impacting your relationship so that your relationship can then support these strategies. So it's a cycle. Spoken like a systems thinker. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And I just have to say on what you're saying right there, Laura, like I think that was one of the greatest takeaways for me from the first conversation was that you were, you were taking us very deeply into that concept right there. And it just reminded me of how much, even in my own parenting journey, like it, it it has been something I've had to practice really embodying this mindset shift. Like if you want to do this way of parenting that re- will really reap so many benefits, including a really great relationship with your child, it requires some mindset shift and some really diving deep into um, just some of the beliefs and practices that you're already carrying into it all. It was really mm-hmm. eye-opening. Thanks for saying that. Yeah, I think, and it's effort. I mean, it's the parents I work with and um, even parents that I parent with in our friend community and family community, it's challenging. This is not for the faint of heart. (laughs) (laughs) No, but the, the joy I'll share with you is that these skills and strategies are not just to initiate behavior change for your children. These skills and strategies change your brain too as a parent. So you benefit. You benefit from the relationship you have with your child because when your relationship is strong and healthy and connected and appropriate, um, you have to, dare I say, parent a little bit less. So as time goes on, your relationship is what drives your child's decision-making and the values that they put into place. So if you have a three-year-old now and we're really deeply investing in this relationship and we're listening to these podcasts and we're reading articles, perhaps we're seeking parent support through therapy. Um, When that three-year-old is then, I don't know, 17, we don't like to think about that, but they eventually will be, you know, they, we aren't as immediately able to influence them. And so what we want is them to use how they've grown up or how they've approached the world because of our influence and because of our relationship on their very own. Um, And that's when 
I think when you ask parents of older children or even of adult children, like, what do you want for your kids? And how do you know your kids are successful? And a lot of times they say things like they're independent and can problem solve and they're, they seem happy and they, you know, a, a lot of these social emotional skills we want when our children become adults, we have to set the foundation for now when they're really little. So these strategies we're going to roll into are a way to do that. You're essentially saying, um, my relationship is important. Um, I want to be more peaceful with you. I want to have cooperation and all of these things that help contribute to a, you know, peaceful home, I guess you could say. Uh, parents can be responsible for in these different mm-hmm. ways. Um, I will say that my philosophy sounds, um, without kind of hearing it all out, I hear you, parents, who are saying, this sounds permissive or this sounds ineffective. Um, it isn't. Uh, a lot of these strategies involve approaching a child's behavior. It's not all about feelings. Uh, but what I will say is one of my top number one, if all you take away from this conversation is this line, all feelings are always okay. All behaviors are not. So when we're approaching children, what we decide to say to them or how we decide to approach their behavior, and like we said in that first uh, podcast, a lot of times a child's behavior is what is hard for us mm-hmm. to parent. Um, totally. So when we are approaching them, if we can keep in mind and really value the statement, all feelings are okay, all behaviors are not, then what we're helping a child understand is that their feelings, thoughts, experiences um, that drive the behavior make sense. They are natural. They are accepted. They are validated. Um, they are not unique to them necessarily. We, you know, we get it. But their behavior that came with it is what we as parents are hoping to teach them to shift and change. Um, so it's kind of so it's kind of like it's always acceptable that you feel angry. Mm-hmm. It is okay to feel angry. What's not okay is to hit your sister. Exactly. But, and so that's kind of an obvious example for me. I, I guess I think about where this could get really challenging for parents when it's things that, you know, the behavior we're seeing is not, it, it doesn't meet the agenda we have. Like one of the things I've seen come up a lot even on social media platforms is this thing of little kiddos being shy around family Mm. members and the parent feeling inclined to say, well, give so-and-so a hug, give so-and-so a hug. And the, and the kid clearly doesn't want to, or, you know, you see parents today that like maybe have more of a hesitation. I don't know if this is a good example, Laura, but more of a hesitation, like forcing their kids to sit on Santa's lap when the kid clearly is afraid and doesn't want to. It's like, but I really want to get that picture, you know? But yes. it's like, it's respecting the feeling that they're having and that yes. that's valid for them. Yes. And I'm glad you said that because the behavior, when we say um, all feelings are okay, all behaviors are not. There's not a list out there that says, here are the behaviors that are not okay. 
-hmm. that list is predetermined by the parents. So in some houses, one behavior is totally fine. In another, it's not. That is neither right nor wrong um, as it stands. It, It just depends on the family unit and the system and their values and their culture and all kinds of things. And so my responsibility is not necessarily to tell parents, oh, you should be focusing on this behavior. It's not okay. I hear a parent say, we are really struggling because this behavior doesn't match with what we want to teach our child. So then we talk about how to honor the child's feeling in the process and then make some decisions. I think a lot of times this is where a parent's, like you said, a mindset shift is really important mm-hmm. um, because is a behavior not okay because you are inconvenienced or you are in a rush or you are frustrated as a parent or is the behavior not okay because at its core, it doesn't match your family values or what right. you're hoping to teach your child. Those are different things. And so when we help a child try to, and the goal of all feelings are okay, all behaviors are not, is really about self-regulation, emotional regulation, understanding feelings, so that the child can self-decide what it is that they could do when they feel this way. But if we are making these limits for a child's behavior based on our own state, emotional state, state of mind, Then we launch a little bit into inconsistency and then kids are like, okay, well, yesterday I could do this, but today you're not saying anything about Mm -hmm. it. When we're offering to a child, all feelings are okay. We're really spending more time saying, you know, I know you don't like to wear a coat. You don't like the way it feels. It feels too heavy. You'd rather just wear your shirt. You like that a lot better and you feel really angry and annoyed that mommy and daddy are asking you to zip your coat and wear it when we go to the playground. Um, We can't let you go outside today without a coat on. So if you'd like to go to- creeping in on my (laughs) conversation? No, I was creeping in on my own. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's- you spend more time hearing them out, understanding and validating. You also get to add, you're not going outside in 40 degree weather without a coat on. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my, you know, some parents might say, okay, go, you know, when they're a little older, okay, be cold, <laughs> go for it. You know, and maybe I'll take that stance when my child's not three, but, um, and that's totally fine too. Again, the, the behavior itself is not what we're targeting. It's, how a child makes their own decisions about what to do when they feel. And so again, it's, it's validating, spending time saying things like, yes, this makes complete sense. And here's how I know. I see you're really upset about this because your face looks like that and you're stomping on the ground. Um, Mm -hmm. I understand. I have felt that way before about this. Here is the limit. I can't let you this, or um, it's not safe to, this, or it will never be um, okay for you to whatever, um, or I'm asking you to this, Wh- whatever the behavior shift we're trying to focus yeah. um, ha- has to come after or paired with a care 
about why that behavior is even showing up. And that kind of leads me to another thing I think is really important for parents to keep in mind is that often uh, misbehavior, so whatever we identify as misbehavior, and that varies across families, is a lot of times a child's expression of a need that's not met or a skill they don't have. Mm. So... You know, and and again, Laura, like when we're talking about kiddos, is there is that the stuff you're talking about kind of apply to any kid through teenage years? Or are we talking like a specific age range developmentally here? Mm-hmm. I I think people <laughs> people in general, <laughs> uh, you it. know, all the way up to to the 90s. But a lot okay. of times, are, you know, it's just more obvious for children because. It's, um, well, there's so much more unregulated <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it just shows it's incredibly, up, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's obvious. Yeah. And also we as parents hold this responsibility to manage their behavior. And so anytime a child has a misbehavior, especially millennial parents, I think feel eager to do something about it, say something, change it, punish mm-hmm. it, whatever it is. And so sometimes, uh, you know, a need that's not met is something I read um, in the books by Tina Payne Bryson and Dr. Dan Siegel are Dr. Tina Payne Bryson and Dr. Dan Siegel, the whole brain child, no drama discipline, the yes brain, the power of showing up. It's a series of four books that I really, really like. Um, And And, one of them. Brainstorm for teens, right? Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. So it's the idea of halt. If your child is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, take note because that might not be the best time to try to manage their behavior or help them learn. Those things are impactful for children. Okay, people, we've heard of hangry. Everybody knows it. Um, Mm -hmm. So if your child is hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, those are those things I'm talking about when I say a need that's not met. So I'm hungry. I need food. I'm angry. You know, I need some regulation, lonely. I need a hug, um, tired. I gotta go to bed. Um, those things really impact a child's behavior, how they show up. And so if we are doing the most loving thing and the most relationship based thing in that moment, we are not going to prioritize the fact that our child's behavior is annoying or bothering us or disruptive, we are going to target the fact that this child is really hungry and we're going to meet those needs first. I think it's harder to allow for those things to be separate. Like We often want a hungry child to be able to behave. Uh, and sometimes they just can't. Sometimes they can. Um, every day is different. So when we think about um, a child's behavior, it's communication. They are doing the best they can to tell us what their internal experiences are. So think back to an infant whose language is to cry and to play. You know, when a child, when a brand new infant cries, okay, what do they need? And we figure it out, you know, change a diaper or feed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. When a brand new baby is having trouble sleeping, we 
walk around the house and bounce them and soothe them and sing to them because the skill they don't have is to self-soothe yet. They're learning. Right. So pull that into toddler and try to figure out based on your own child, pull that into middle school, you know, is your child, you know, lonely or tired or frustrated? Can we help them process those feelings so that the behavior that's showing up isn't as hard for them? Um, I think that's really important. Totally. I don't know if you're going to bring up anything, if you had anything today on timeouts, but Mm -hmm. I wonder about that because obviously for many of us millennial adults, we were parented in a way where we had to take timeouts. We had big feelings or did some of those mis- engaged in those misbehaviors according mm-hmm. to our parents' values that that was the consequence or the disciplinary action or whatever. And, you know, I think you and I know there's a lot out there today about the impact of timeouts. But what would you say to a parent that is, you know, utilizing that or thinking that a timeout is going to be helpful in this moment when your kid's done something Mm -hmm. um, or is having big, big, big feelings that just seem unmanageable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll say that this is not yes, do timeouts or no, don't. Uh, I think how every parent uh, has thought about or experienced or executes timeout is totally different. Mm -hmm. What I'll say is uh, when we use timeout as a strategy to punish or isolate or avoid a child who's struggling, you are totally missing the boat. Mm-hmm. You are missing a chance to use your relationship to help the child. So what I'll say about that, and I'll come right back to timeouts, but something that is really crucial and I hope a lot of parents understand. Um, And again, this is really reinforced in the book, No Drama Discipline, which I really, really love. The idea that discipline in and of itself, that word means to learn. It does not mean to punish. So when we want Mm -hmm. to discipline our children, our goal should be to teach them not to punish them. That is relationship-based. So when I, as the parent, can take a situation and think, what does my do, what do I want my child to learn for the next time about this current situation? That is how I then decide how to approach. When my perspective is this child needs discipline, which that tone usually means this child needs to be punished or this child needs the fear of God or whatever it is. It is not relationship focused. It's power based. So when you treat a timeout, like go to your room, that Mm -hmm. is punishment. That is not relationship focused. That's basically saying, I only want to be around you and love you when you're pleasant. So get it together on your very own, by the way, go away. Yeah. Come back when you can be lovable, which is detrimental to relationship. When you use time out as an idea, it's more about everybody needs a time out. You know, everybody needs a break. 
Everybody needs to regroup. You can call it a time in, you can call it a break, but it's essentially saying this situation has escalated. We have to get out of this emotional state so we can re-engage later and make some kind of sense of what just happened. Some children, and this is where you kind of have to know your child, some children like to be by themselves during that time. They prefer to go to their room, go to their playroom, whatever it is, and regroup. Other children find that to be really isolating and it escalates their emotional experience. So sometimes a timeout, time in, break is, okay, Let hold on just a second. We're just going to sit here for a minute and I'm going to give you a really big hug because you're having a hard time. Then you sit and you wait until their body calms down, until their feelings are managed somewhat. And then you say, okay, earlier when we we're talking about this, blah, 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 blah. And then you kind of go, you get to teach them a lesson instead of react to your own emotions, which typically leads to punishment or isolation. So timeouts in and of themselves are not bad or good, how you approach them and what it means to the child and what it means to your relationship is how you decide whether or not how you are implementing timeouts are effective or healthy. A lot of times it is really based on the kid. My own child it is not necessarily a self-isolator. She will say, I need a break. And I'll say, okay. Um, and then she goes and she kind of <laughs> stomps away. But then I hear her say, I need a hug. And that's oh. when I, and that's when I know I'm like, okay, I'm there. So I run back and we do the hug. And then we, then we get to talk about what happened or she gets to say, you didn't notice this about this. This is why, this is what I was trying to tell you. Or these moments that help us connect then help me know more about her for the next time. And she knows more about me for the next time. And that is where you get into a parenting rhythm is when you choose to approach discipline as learning opportunity, you realize that these moments of misbehavior are moment after moment of opportunity to teach your child. Isn't that great? <laughs> so I love it. You know, I love it. Instead of, oh my gosh, we do this every morning and this is, why can't you figure this out? And, you know, they can't figure it out because you didn't teach them. And so that is where if you shift your perspective, then you realize, okay, I haven't learned something the first time every time, not a chance. So there's no way my young child, my older child, my teenager is going to learn something first time, first opportunity, first engagement. There are going to be multiple times in which we have to say, I know you don't want to wear this coat today. It is cold outside. I'm not going to have to do that lesson once. I'm probably in for it for the winter, right? And so until mm -hmm. that child then self decides to wear their own coat, that is how I have then taught them to figure out the weather and decide if they need a coat or not. Um, that's when that parenting has paid off because I then don't have to continue to parent on that topic because I have taught the child to decide for themselves, to be self-sufficient, to be independent and confident. And that's what we really want.
Yeah. And I, I just think going back to what's really resonated for me of like some of these mindset shifts as a parent is, is recognizing that these little, little children, they do have the capacity to learn this stuff. Oh yeah. I think a lot of people think that a kid that is one or 18 months or, you know, three or four, even that they, you know, they're not an adult. They're not going to think like an adult. And that's true. But that doesn't mean we don't treat them and, and come to this relationship with them um, in some immature way. Like, I just think one of the one of the things we've been consci- conscientious, I guess, to do is not talk to them like they're babies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like they can't handle the things that we want to teach them. They can right. Yeah. And that is another one of, you know, something I like to tell parents is, you know, do not do for a child what they can do for themselves. It will take longer for you. You have to build in 10 more minutes, five more minutes, whatever it is, while your child figures out how to put that shoe on. Mm-hmm. But if you put, this is just kind of a very basic example, of course, but if you are putting your child's shoes on until they're 10, then then that then you have decided <laughs> to teach them they need you to put their shoes on. Yeah. If instead you want to teach them, I believe in you. At this point, whatever age it is for your individual child or children, it's, this is not like a, at this age these things should happen. It varies. But when you've decided, okay, my child can handle this task, whatever it is, you let them do it. Mm-hmm. And you have patience with them while you do it. And that patience tells uh, Yes. Them. Yes. I so appreciate how you're you're really diving into that that point that as the parent, we have to slow down. And I think just for me personally, that's a hard thing to do. I'm mm-hmm. a millennial. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm like a very motivated and forward-thinking adult. And I have shit to do. Yep. <laughs> and my three-year-old, you know, wanting to sit there and change her shirt three times mm-hmm. and do it herself and and put on her shoes by herself. Like it takes me working on my own self-regulation and being able to sit there and slow myself down because this is good. This is good for me to sit there with her and let her explore that and figure it out. And I'm there to support it mm-hmm. rather than me needing to just push on with my agenda for the day and just do it for her because we need to get going. And here's another reason my parenting is really hard, Liz, because yes, have patience, sit down with her, watch her while she puts her shoes on the wrong feet, changes her shirt and learns these skills so that she can eventually dress herself. Yes. Equal. You got to (laughs) go. You got to, you got stuff to do. So parenting is a series of decisions over and over and over again. If one day you just don't have the time to sit down and let the child learn to do the shoes, then you don't have the time. So you then say, oh, you're so interested in this. You love how it feels to try on your own. Right now, we don't have time for you to try on your own. So I'm going to help you and we're going to get in the car. When we come home later today, you can try again. And then you get in the car. So parenting is a series of decisions based on the relationship, of course, but it's not always black and white. Okay, mm-hmm. my child. Okay, my child's trying to learn this skill. I just have to stop my world until they figure mm-hmm. it out. 
you know, there are lots of opportunities for learning. And so sometimes you as the parent have to set the limit and make decisions about the structure of your day and your home. And it doesn't always um, honor what the child wants, which is okay. Um, But what it does and what you can do through that process is care that they're interested. That is relationship focused. So whether or not you stop and let your child try the shoes is not exactly the point. The point is how you approach the situation. So if you have time, you let the child try the shoes. Um, If you don't, then you care that they're interested and you validate that they're trying. You give them, okay, one more try and then mommy's going to help you out and we're going to get in the car. Mm -hmm. So how you approach a situation is way more important than the situation itself. Well, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, at the beginning today, you said some people may hear some of this as permissive, but what I've heard pretty consistently from you is that it's, it's not like, this is the way that you parent. And I I don't want to use the word control, but a parent can still get what they need. Mm -hmm. Um, especially if, like you're saying, especially if it is like, we're, on an agenda today and we need to get to, you know, the doctor by nine o'clock or whatever it might be. Like, it's not that you're just sitting around and allowing all this to just unfold for two hours. Like there's structure around it, Mm -hmm. but that structure brings a real security to prioritize some of this stuff. It absolutely does. In fact, kids, children, people want predictability and safety Mm -hmm. in knowing How's my world going to be so I can decide how to be? Um, One thing you mentioned, you said, I need to self-regulate and have more patience. Um, I love that you said that because another thing that is kind of underlying to all of this, however you decide to approach a situation is really rooted in your own ability as the grown-up to self-regulate. When we want our child to regulate and be calm or... Uh, be more pleasant or more cooperative or whatever, we have to offer co-regulation. We have to be what we are asking them to be. So in that shoe moment, we'll just keep using it. You know, if, if I'm so hurried and so rushed that I am, you know, what are you doing? Get in the car. We don't have time for this. We have to go. Then I'm missing the connection point in the relationship. I can be hurried. I can be running late because that happens. I can also practice self-regulation, take a deep breath and say, I know this is really important to you and it's hard. You did not expect us to have to go this quickly this morning. Mommy's running late. I didn't organize the time for you to be able to finish that puzzle before we leave. That's really tough. We have to go. You know, how I choose to regulate or not is what contributes to the relationship piece. Mm -hmm. So I think I hope parents hear that there really isn't a right or wrong way to approach specific situations. It's more about your mindset, your philosophy, your approach. 
And if you have that approach managed, what you say or what you do or the decision you make about any given moment doesn't matter as much. Um, so again, if you want to know more about that part, part one, we kind of go into that. So self-regulation for parents is really important. And this is where I can also offer you the idea that this is a whole another conversation because that is sometimes why the parenting is hard in and of itself. Um, because parents, grownups, adults are learning how to believe that all feelings are okay. That applies to us too. I can feel angry. I can feel annoyed by my kid. I can feel frustrated. I can feel impatient. But when I'm thinking about what I want to contribute to my child, to our relationship, I have to decide what behaviors are okay or not. Um, And if I can regulate, if I can have self-awareness, if I can have some insight, that regulation can come more quickly with practice. I then can offer that better to my child. Sometimes uh, that requires grownups to go to therapy. It requires, you know, or, or have some really intentional conversations with trusted mentors or friends being honest and saying, this is what's hard for me as a parent. Here's when I blow up. Here's when I have no patience. Working on your own awareness, insight, regulation is such an incredible gift to your children. Because if that's hard, none of these strategies are, are going to really help because you're, you are going to be at battle with yourself first and then influencing your child's going to come second. One way to regulate, and we talked about this in the first episode, is that children, especially when they're young and for a long time, for a long time, longer than we actually think, use play as their main communication strategy. Uh, They use play to regulate. They use play to learn. They use play for comfort. And so if we want to talk to our child, if we want to teach our child, a lot of times we have to use their language. We have to meet them where they are. We have to be playful. This is also a really hard concept for parents. Um, because we've grown out of play, being playful. We've, we feel silly being playful. Um, doesn't come as naturally to us anymore. We feel like we don't need to do it. But when you have young children, I encourage you to learn how to play. Take cues from them. For example, one, one thing that I, in my own house, in my husband have figured out is that telling our child to hurry up uh, has an opposite effect. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) You don't say. Right? So instead, we tell her, we say, okay, we're going to zoom, zoom. And we look at her and we kind of get the stance like, we're going to do it. And she gets pumped. And then she says, all right, we got to zoom, zoom. We have to zoom, zoom. It's so silly. It's really simple. But it feels better to her in the playfulness than our power and control of hurry, hurry, hurry. You're not going fast enough, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, side note, children are never going to go as fast as we'd like them to. So get your own strategy for this, people. (laughs) Um, 
But I was just thinking about that. I'm like, that is yeah. so true. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not fast. And that, and like you said, yeah, maybe we could learn something from them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that playfulness is helpful. It's soothing. It's regulating. The physicality of playfulness also helps manage emotions. So, um, one other thing I've we do in our house is called turnaround, spinaround. So if things are just feeling off kilter and we just sort of say, okay, turn around, spin around, start over. And I, we grab her hand and we spin her a couple times. And then when she stops spinning, we say, oh, hey. And we kind of pretend like she just entered this brand new universe where no one's upset anymore. That playfulness, our ability to say, all right, we're going to do some physical movement. We're also going to honor that this is really tense. But what we want is calm cooperation on all of our parts. And so everybody needs to turn around, spin around. And that playfulness really helps. I've I've heard parents tell me that, you know, bath time historically is really tough. I'm thinking of this one family in particular. um, And so dad decided to do uh, dance party bath times. And so when it's time for the bath, instead of, of, okay, it's bath time. We got to go, got to go. It's okay, I hear the bath music. And he turns on this really goofy song that the kids like, and they march down the hallway to the bathtub (laughs) and dance. They dance to the bathtub and the kids are then more settled and bath, you know, it doesn't work immediately, but bath time is no longer this pressure point for that family. Um, And so I think when we think about being playful, it doesn't mean sit on the ground for an hour Uh, and play dinosaurs or fairies or whatever it is that's going on. It just means add an element of joy to whatever it is that's, that's going on. Um, And kids do that. Gosh, they do it so well. We have a lot to learn from them in terms of play and joy. So if you're having trouble with that, or you don't know what that means for your own house, watch your child dance to the car because they will and, and pay attention to um, this, you know, silly imagination story that they are offering you. Other things that feel playful in nature are just to let your child's imagination go. So, you know, and creating rituals around it of consistency. Um, one thing that, you know, I hate to keep using examples of my own family, but I think it it's helpful to get an idea of what I'm talking about is um, sometimes when I'm making dinner, my husband's making dinner, um, our daughter will want to help, which is great. And so we give her appropriate tasks and things, but we will also say, you know, when we get to the table, we'll say, okay, what are some silly dinners? And then we just go around the table and name the silliest things you could think of to have for dinner. And it's, it's conversation. Uh, we're engaging at the dinner table We're we're with one another. But it's not an exchange between grownups. We got to do this and check this off our list. And oh, this was really hard at work. And Emily, mm-hmm. how, how was your day at school today? Like she didn't want to answer that. She's already done <laughs> school. But we're talking and we're engaging. But it's silly. It's playful. It's goofy. Um, and all the while creating some memories at the dinner table, which is really helpful. So being playful is beneficial. Uh, I mean in so many ways for so many well, reasons. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. You are, you're getting into your kiddos 
realm, you're speaking mm-hmm. their language. Right. And I think even for me being somebody that's aware of what you're talking about here, and, and I've tried to implement some of that, I'm realizing just all the ways and in hearing you share your examples in your family, I, I'm just thinking of ways where that could be integrated even more and that it would probably help us a lot. Like with teeth brushing, we're going through that lovely phase with my 18 month old and he mm-hmm. just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. And I am so, I'm so against the whole hold him down and just do it. <laughs> like, right. I can't do it. I'm like, we'll go a week without brushing if that's how it's going to be. But I'm wondering if there's other angles of integrating play into that with him oh, yeah. where he can feel more empowered and excited about it. So I'm going to think about that. Yeah. And a lot of these ideas all go together. So when we're at the sink, we say, all right, buddy, I know you don't like this. You wish you didn't have to. feels kind of funny. You don't like when mom and dad ask you to do it. It's very safe and healthy to brush our teeth. So we're going to do it. But today we're going to do it silly way. So you honor, you validate all feelings are okay. Um, his behavior is telling you the skill he does not have is he cannot do this on his own or that, you know, he just doesn't want to. That's the need that's not met, which is, hello, I don't want to do this. If you can understand that, then perhaps I could be more cooperative. So that kind of element gets thrown in there. And, you know, don't do for a child what they can do for themselves. Perhaps he cannot do this by himself. So you are saying, until you learn, we're going to do it this silly way. And I'm going to um, integrate learning opportunities for you until this is something you can do by yourself. So a, a lot of these strategies, skills, thoughts, insights, whatever you want to call them, all go together. They all roll into one because they are all relationship focused. Mm-hmm. They all contribute to the foundational relationship of you and your child. And hearing you walk through that example right there, just the way you so poignantly said that little role play, it's like, okay, hearing you say that, it gets me excited. I'm like, I hear how all of that um, blends together and how it does kind of give you that full full image of what this can sound like coming from a parent. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I can try this. Yes. I can really and, you, this. and you can try it because you are approaching it with the decision to be regulated. Right. So you're, you're saying, yeah. right. This is something my child has to learn. Like I cannot keep doing this teeth brushing battle for eternity. So mm-hmm. what's my best strategy to help my child best learn? And you're putting those pieces together. A couple other things. And I know I want to be mindful of time. And I just want to throw these in here that for children, a lot of times they hear yes, way better than they hear no. That's also just a human thing. So if you can, when you're making requests or bids for your child to say yes, instead of say no, that's an opportunity to help them learn. So when you say, Hey, I'm, I'm asking for kindness instead of don't be mean, (laughs) you are, you are saying, here's what I am asking for you. Here is how you learn. Here's the direction I want you to go. Instead of no, 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 don't, 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 don't. It gives children kind of a better setup for hearing what it is you do want. Because when we assume our child knows the preferred behavior or the preferred action, you might be wrong. So if you tell a child, 
you know, quit doing that, whatever it is, a hundred times a day, quit doing that, <laughs> you know, um, they might for a second, they'll comply in that instant, but in the very next minute, they're going to do it again because mm-hmm. they're curious and they're interested in whatever it is they're doing, you know, banging on that drum or whatever it is, is appealing to them. So they stopped when you said stop, but they, they don't know what you're asking them if all you do is say no. So if you include or shift it to, hey, but you're having so much fun on that drum, you love the way it sounds. Um, if you want to play it, go ahead and play it in your bedroom. Then you're giving them learning. We're saying, this is not okay, but this is. Then later, the next day, they bang on the drum again and you can say, oh, hey, just a reminder, If I know that's so fun. I love to hear you be creative and make music. The drum is something you have to do in your room. Okay, the next day it happens again and we say, can you help me remember what we've asked about the drum? Yes, it goes in my room. Then eventually the child has learned, okay, the drum has to happen in my room. You've taught them. Instead of consistency is key. Instead of every day saying, mm-hmm. don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Mm-hmm. We're saying, do this instead. Um, you know, asking for what you do want instead of just saying what you don't really helps the child understand, you know, and and imagine that in your own adult relationships too. Asking for what you need is way more productive than just airing a bunch of grievances about how somebody else messes up. Mm -hmm. So it's harder because you want the other person to already know. You want them to just instinctually understand and meet your needs. But that doesn't always happen. When you have strong, connected relationship, that happens a lot more often. Same with kids. Same with kids. So it's so interesting too, how like in adult relationships, you're absolutely right. These, these techniques and skills of asking for what you need and being accountable to the relationship in that way are, are such good things to practice, but we've come to wrap these very interesting and sometimes outlandish beliefs around what it means for us when our partner doesn't read our mind or can't remember the thing that we said was really important. And, um, I mean, sometimes it's these big things. Like if you can't remember that X, Y, Z is something I want in this relationship, that means you don't love me. That means you don't care. And the really sad thing I see is when parents have that kind of dynamic going with their kids Mm -hmm. to put that kind of painful meaning around, you know, you're not listening to me. You don't get this. I've said it multiple times. Right. But it's all getting me to come for full circle with this idea that, wow, you know, working on my parenting with my toddlers could actually really be something that would help me work even more on my marriage too. Like mm-hmm. these are skills that cross over because right. like you said, it's all focused on relationship. It's not right. like this is only stuff you do with your kids. This is right. only stuff you do with, there's some real themes here that I think could just even help me and how I present what I want in adult relationships. Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, and it is helpful when you and your co-parent, your parenting community are all on the same page because then you're understanding you're all in the same boat about what you're trying to accomplish. I will say that I've, you know, my husband and I both have big families with lots of siblings and 
lucky for us, we there's lots of cousins and they love each other and they spend a lot of time together. They're close in age. But we, with our in-laws, some some places, of course, there are different perspectives, but with all the aunts and uncles, we get we are on the same page generally about approaching the children. So it isn't uncommon to parent another child in the family because you know that other set of parents is okay with that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's comforting because then you say, oh gosh, I'm struggling with this, or you're a year ahead of me in this, what, what worked here? So having a sense of community um, with your own partner or co-parent or whoever um, is who supports you is really important um, because it there are times that feel frustrating and you feel lost and you need a little bit of grounding and, and figuring that out. In my last five minutes, I'm just going to roll through a few more things that are bullets. Okay. And I will elaborate on another call or if you are interested in hearing more. <laughs> we'll, um, these, we'll list all these things <laughs> that you've talked through today in the show notes so people right. can really get like a bullet point sense right. of some of the highlights we've discussed today. Yeah. And I think like some of these books, honestly, Laura, that you've listed are probably excellent starting points oh, yes. for, for anybody to dive into and just... incredible. Mm-hmm. And if, if you want to email me or connect with me and ask about other resources in terms of reading or articles, I'm more than happy to share that with you. This is not thing, none of these ideas are things I've made up. Um, these are things that I've learned through my own experiences, things I've read, things I've benefited from being in the field. So again, this is not, these are not original to me, but I'm pulling them all together because they are what I find to be most helpful for the parents that I work with. Okay. Here's like a fast point blank. Here are some other things that might help you running into the holiday season or whatever it may be. You mentioned greeting, um, give this aunt a hug or whatever. Uh, My stance here is to no, we do not make children (laughs) physically approach adults if they don't want to. So use the idea that, okay, you're feeling cautious. And we say this out loud. So the other grown up can hear you're feeling cautious, you're not sure you would like to give a hug because a lot of times the grown-up says, hey, give me a hug. Mm-hmm. Um, that tells the other grown-up, back off. It also tells your child, I'm honoring where you are. And then you can say, I'd like for you to say hello. Could you wave or give a high five? So you offer alternatives to the child. If greeting the other adult is something that you are wanting to ask your child to do. Um, if you're not, again, this is one of those things like totally up to you as a parent, what are you, what it is that you're doing here. Um, if the greeting itself is important to you for your child to engage in, let them find a way to do it safely. Hug, a high five, a wave. They can wave from behind your body connected to your leg. Um, nodding, saying hi, whatever, whatever feels more comfortable to them. When we honor, yeah, this, you haven't seen this person in a year. Perhaps you don't want to hug them. We mm-hmm. are also then setting them up for body safety and, yeah. you know, basically teaching them consent, which, you know, seems unimportant at such a young age, but it's not. I, I love that one too and how you're expressing it. I'm thinking of my three year old sometimes I'll say something like that, like, you know, do you want to do XYZ or do you want to give a high five? And she'll say, I want you to do it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> and want. I think- mm-hmm. 
you want to see what it looks like for mommy to do it. Yeah. I'll high five uncle so-and-so and then, right. you know, show them that it's safe. And if she chooses mm-hmm. to do it, okay. If not, then you have said out loud to the other grown up, which I think is a lot of times, sometimes the pressure, like, okay, just, I don't want to look like I'm super permissive and let my child do whatever they want, but I also am going to respect my child and I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. One other thing about other grownups is um, grownups never share secrets with kids. So even if it's silly, back to that playful thing. So, okay, I have a secret and it's silly. Try to avoid using that language because what we want kids to know is that adults will never and should never ask, not that they won't, but they shouldn't, uh, ask kids to keep secrets. That can shift into a lot of things. But if we just say that straight out, you know, if, if another grown up approaches my child and says, oh, come here, I have a secret. Then I reframe it out loud and I said, oh, they have, they're going to tell you a surprise or they have some, they have a whisper for you. They have something they want you to know. So reframe it so that you're honoring what the other adult is trying to do, which is have a playful connection with your child. Mm-hmm. Um, but you sort of, in my a way to keep kids safe and give them independence and confidence is to let them know that, no, you should not expect adults to ask you to keep a secret. Surprises, totally fine. Surprises means eventually everybody finds out. Mm-hmm. Um, so if gifts are surprises, gifts are not secrets. And so keeping that language, again, sometimes language is what is really helpful to kids in understanding patterns. That kind of rolls into you. I don't encourage children to apologize for the sake of apologizing. So if you want your child to learn what it means to say, I'm sorry, then you approach that from a learning perspective. You do not approach that from a command, say you're sorry, because they will, because that's what you're asking them to do, but they don't really understand it. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to them. And they're not likely to do it on their own without your encouragement. So, so ins- true. instead you say a lot of other things that help them learn what it means and why saying sorry is important. But I do think that these are a couple things that happen for kids a lot in general, you know, being a kid, say you're sorry, give so-and-so a hug, um, all, all these things that feel really common and, and harmless, essentially, there are just a, there's just a different way to offer them the same lesson, but with more safety. Those are a couple of things that were on my mind when I was thinking about, okay, what are some fast, quick tips, you know, rolling into the year and the holidays and all of that, that, that Mm -hmm. parents might find helpful. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. I feel like it's so timely. It really is like, especially moving into holidays and people that might, I mean, the world's a little different this, this year. And a lot of people might be doing something very different, but I know there are still families that are coming together and that can bring these, um, moments, these seemingly quick moments that could really be just growth opportunities Mm -hmm. for you to practice these things with your kiddo. And I think you've given us some amazing nuggets and things that we can take and actively try out to see how it feels and to see the response we get with our kids. Yeah, well, I hope so. You know, it's hard um, to try just to put together a few points, but I I said it in the last episode uh, that we did together. When you understand why 
you're approaching your children the way that you are, what you say can come out of anywhere. So mm-hmm. understanding the the idea behind the approach is way more important than getting the approach right. Um, because you have you, just like your child, have everyday moments that you get to learn together. And you'll mess up and so will your kid. And that's fine. That's the learning process. That that's actually a better way to learn than just getting it right right away, being told exactly how to do it. And so both of you need to mess up. All of you need to mess up together and then repair and try again and continue to learn. Um, And when you have that mindset of relationship and learning and growth, what you choose to say or how you choose to approach any situation doesn't hold as much weight because you know that you're approaching it and and having this perspective um, that's ultimately long-term beneficial for your family. So give yourself some grace knowing that individual parent moments are not as important as the overall picture of how you approach your children. Yes. Yes. I have to remember my that myself daily that this one mess up I just made with my kid and me overreacting, you know, it's not going to regress our relationship and our family dynamic like a whole year because I did that. You know, it's giving myself grace, giving myself time to come away from those experiences and whether I just gain, you know, a better perspective and understanding of where I kind of went astray or whatever I could have done differently. Like, you know, it's, you can always repair and that's the process of relationships. Like you said earlier, whether you're three or 93 relationships are just a constant flow of harmony, disharmony and repair. And it's kind of, it's the same with parenting. So letting ourselves really take on that mindset. Thank you so much, Laura. This has been absolutely amazing. Like I'm so excited to have this episode out there for people to listen to and just remind all the people listening, if they do want to reach out to you, what's a good way to get in touch and find you? Sure. Um, My website is insightstherapy.com. A collaborative practice that I share with other really skilled clinicians. You can click on my picture and there's an opportunity to email me directly if you'd like to. Um, you can call my office and be in touch. The website's a really great way to get more information if you're in the Dallas area or even in Texas about engaging in some more of these individualized conversations. So if you like what you hear and you're thinking, okay, I have 20 examples. Can you work through them with me based on this information? Um, yes. I do that a lot often. And so if you're interested in the Dallas area, we can sit down. Um, if you're in Texas, we can Zoom or whatever we want to do virtually since that's part of our world now. So the website is a really great way um, just to send me a note and I'll I'll get back to you. Sounds good. Well, thanks again. I'm so excited to uh, have this to share with everybody. And I just appreciate you. Thank you. You are very welcome. Thanks for asking me to do a whole nother a whole nother show. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. If you like the show, leave us five stars or write a review. If you're interested in learning more, sign up for my free ebook, The One Barrier to Commitment All Millennials Face at millennialrelationships.com. 